Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Good evening. Hi, I'm Rebecca. My pronouns are she, her. It's been a long time since I've talked in front of other people. So, um, for this worship series, it would have been enough. We are borrowing a pattern Telling, that it's telling a story that is closely related to the Exodus story. It's called Dayanu, which is a Hebrew phrase that means it would have been sufficient, implying that something more, something extra follows that phrase. Dayanu is also a cheerful song sung by Jewish families at their Passover meals. It tells the story of God's liberation of our spiritual ancestors, as a series of escalating gifts from God. We're learning to tell our stories in this new pattern so we can experience the escalating gratitude that it provokes. Today, it's my turn to share my story. Last fall, I seriously thought I was going to die. That any day, I would go ahead and do what I wanted to do which was to take my life. I was at the end of my ability to deal with both grief and the ravages of gender dysphoria. My grief over the death of my wife to COVID had rendered me incapable of suppressing the dysphoria anymore that was destroying me physically and mentally. So one year ago today, I told God I was ready to die and started thinking of ways to accomplish the act. But God, in the way that God does sometimes, spoke to me in a quiet voice and said and whispered, telling me it's not time yet for you to die. Day I knew. It would have been enough for God to remind me that my life was not over yet. But God also whispered to me, and said, the problem is that you've been listening to others. You've been fighting, because of them, you are fighting the fact that you are both intersexed and transgender. God whispered to me and said, I have known all your life who you are, and I accept you as you are. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to accept me as I am. But then when I prayed about a new name, God whispered, Rebecca, which means she who binds up two parts. Day knew. It would have been enough for God to give me a new name, but God began showing me approval that being trans would not stop me from having a ministry. One evening, while at my favorite restaurant, attended by my favorite server, I noticed that Stephanie looked ill. God whispered to me once again and said, 
pray for her. So I asked Stephanie if I could, and she readily agreed. I laid my hands upon hers and prayed. Very simple prayer. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to tell me to pray for Stephanie, but two days later on the way home from my, my daughter's, God said, go see Stephanie. I walked in, and Stephanie was smiling. I asked, what's going on? She said, I'm well. The doctors can find nothing wrong with me. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to show approval for me by healing someone I prayed for. But God knew I needed approval. I needed to be around other Christians who were trans. So God introduced me to a worship pastor in Michigan who is trans and writing worship songs. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to introduce me to Joanna Wadley, but God knew I needed more. I was introduced to a trans woman from Canada who was a pastor and is now ministering to trans Christians all over North America. She invited me to be a part of her on online fellowship and asked me re recently to join her ministry. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to introduce me to Kimberly Beargrove. But God knew I needed a new family and friends after losing my old ones when I came out. So God sent me here to Galileo to love a new family and be loved by new friends. Day you knew. It would have been enough for God to give me a new family and new friends. But the greatest gift that God has given me on this, my first anniversary as Rebecca, is that God has given me what I've always sought, approval and acceptance for who I am, who I was created to be, an intersexed trans woman. Hey, church. My name is Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the lead evangelist here at Galileo Church, and we're continuing our readings tonight in the story of the Exodus from the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible. And tonight our readings are from chapters 17 and 18. I want to give you a heads up that in this storytelling, there are some puns. They won't be... Um, obvious to us as non-Hebrew speakers. I mean, unless you are, I don't know you. Um, but you'll see in the text, sometimes it'll say, and there Moses called the place Massa and Meribah, for there the people quarreled and tested. And so you can, when you hear that pattern, you'll know that uh, Massa and Meribah are like puns for quarreled and tested. That happens a couple times in the story tonight. Another thing that'll help make sense of the reading is for us to know that we skipped over a, a part in the story when Moses returned from uh, keeping his father-in-law's sheep. Remember, he had gone out to live there and married Zipporah, one of Jethro's daughters. Um, he goes back to Egypt to do the let my people go thing, and he goes without his family. He leaves Zipporah and the kids at her dad's house. Like you do, you know, when your spouse is going into the lion's den to liberate his kinfolk from their imperial enslaver, you just stay home with the kids and wait. So in tonight's story, Zipporah and the kids are coming back to Moses, and I just want you to know where they've been. So starting in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. 
From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why'd you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, remember, and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because there the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for the people Israel, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro took her back, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a foreign land. And the name of the other son, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came into the wilderness where Moses was encamped at the mountain of God, bringing Moses' sons and wife to him. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. Each asked after the other's welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had beset them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from Egypt. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he delivered the people from the Egyptians when they dealt arrogantly with him. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. 
I'll give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people will go to their homes in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. And they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and Jethro went off to his own country. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nineteen sixty-nine was a very good year, the year of my birth. In that year, Raymond Hall wrote a social science book expounding the research of Dr. Lawrence J. Peter, a self-described hierarchiologist. Dr. Peter had observed enough systems of human hierarchy in education, in business, and other fields to develop a theory known thereafter as the Peter Principle. Do you know it? that in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to their level of incompetence. Now, even if you don't know the Peter Principle by name, you've probably seen it in action. Here's an example. The food service worker who is efficient, friendly with customers, consistently good at their serving job, gets promoted to assistant manager where they may or may not be capable of scheduling shifts and keeping peace among their fellow employees. Or, if they prove to be good at those things, they get promoted again to manager, where they may or may not be ready to supervise inventory and analyze costs. And so, because they have reached the level of their incompetence, they remain a manager, a struggling manager, a not very good manager who will never be promoted again. Or in education, for example, Dr. Peter's own field. An excellent teacher, beloved by students, moves up to department head where they need administrative skill for managing curriculum or dealing with parents. If they can't manage that, they'll stay right there at the level of their incompetence. If they can manage the new responsibilities, they'll get promoted again in time, right up to the point that they can't very well do the job they're in, which is therefore 
exactly where they'll stay for the rest of their career. The Peter Principle. In a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to the level of their incompetence. One wonders if the Peter Principle might help explain what starts to happen with Moses out there on the freedom side of the Red Sea. It turns out that despite his initial protest at the burning bush, he was pretty damn good at the let my people go gig. He showed up on time for his appointments with Pharaoh. He announced plagues in the right order and they came to pass. He made extra sure that the angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses and he led the nighttime evacuation of all those people out of Egypt through the sea, and to the new dawn of their liberation. Hell of a job, Moses. Now let's see what you can do as the long-term, day-to-day administrator of health and well-being for all these folks in your care. Here's a promotion. Go get them. Well, turns out that's a different skill set. And Moses didn't quite have it. The people in his care were always surprising him with how hungry and thirsty they were. (laughs) Somehow he could not anticipate that they and their kids and their livestock would be needing water again the next day at the next campground. He could not maintain a non-anxious presence in the face of their complaints. He was argumentative with the people and whiny to God. Why are you on my jock? You know God picked me, right? Why do you test God? God, these mean people are going to kill me. Tell him to leave me alone. He held grudges, naming places on the map they did not have after times when the people he led disappointed him. Massa and Meribah quarreled and tested so that no one would ever forget how hard they were to get along with. And finally, it seems he did not know how to delegate to share power and share responsibility. That's the whole of chapter 18, the story of Moses' father-in-law Jethro accompanying his daughter and grandsons back to Moses and noticing his son-in-law's radical overfunctioning, adjudicating every dispute, advising every soul in need of counsel, working from sun up to sundown to clear out that inbox, only to face another onslaught the next day. No wonder he didn't have time to think about tomorrow's water source. Now, as far as I know, there's no word in the ancient Hebrew for burnout, but that's definitely what Jethro saw in Moses. He said, you will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, For this task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. So I think it would be a pretty decent takeaway tonight if we just stopped here to consider Moses' plight and Jethro's excellent advice. Depending on where you are in life, you might be relating tonight more to Moses, drowning in responsibilities, not feeling particularly good about the quality of your work because you're stretched too thin. Sick of the exact people you're meant to serve because their presence reminds you of your failure to do the thing you got into this for in the first place. For you, 
the point tonight would be something like, don't be afraid to admit that you need help, that you can't do it all, that you're running out of the intangible internal resources required to keep functioning at this frantic, fatiguing level. It's okay to say so, and honestly, it's better to say so before you come completely unglued. Or maybe tonight you're relating more to Jethro as a wise and compassionate person who can see that someone else, someone you care about, is approaching what we call around here the threshold of resentment, that line that divides the deep joy of fulfilling one's calling from the deep exhaustion of never quite fulfilling one's calling fully. You're sad and worried to see your loved ones slumped over with the weight of the world on their shoulders. So for you, the point could be something like, see something, say something. But only if you've got something constructive to say, and only if you feel like you can stay engaged to help your beloved see it through. Jethro did not leave to go home, you'll notice, until Moses had his brand new judicial system humming like a top. Blessed is the advice giver who sticks around to help work out the details. Or maybe you find yourself among the group that Jethro called the able men. We'll say able persons. His advice was for Moses to seek out able persons among all the people, and he told him what to look for. People who fear God, people who are trustworthy, people who hate dishonest gain, i.e. can't be bribed. In other words, people who can be counted on to help their neighbors flourish, seeking not their own advantage, but rather the health of the whole people of God, Look for the helpers, Mr. Rogers advised our kids after 9-11. Look for some helpers, Jethro counseled Moses. And if you are a helper, if you are one of the trustworthy ones who can carry a piece of the heavy responsibility for the health and well-being of others, well, thanks be to God for you. More of us should aspire to be like the nameless but not forgotten able persons upon whom Jethro's advice to Moses and the health of Israel as a whole depended. With regard to our little system here, I think about the tech team in the back. You can turn around and look at them if you want to. I think about the person who set up for worship tonight before a lot of us got here, making sure that all the bathroom stalls were clean and had toilet paper. Thanks be to God for that. And who will clean up after most of us have left for tonight, making sure that nothing lingers in the trash can all week long. I think about the people who bought the coffee and made the coffee and cleaned up the coffee and bought the communion bread and put it in the freezer, and the ones who got it out to thaw and who are going to clean up what we don't eat tonight. And I think about the invisible administrative work that's going into that North Texas transportation network as it keeps giving travel grants to families seeking out-of-state health care for their trans kids. Church, there is so much more. The truth is we've got a church full of Moses's able persons, and I am grateful for every single one of you. And that might be enough 
for tonight. Finding ourselves in the story, letting Moses and Jethro and the team inspire us to do good work and share the load and rest well. But I'd like to suggest that if the stories of our ancestors in faith give us only that, you know, good advice for daily living, we might not have gotten to the heart of it just yet. Because deep down, Bible stories are always stories about God. Our ancestors in the presence of God, our ancestors trying to connect with God, our ancestors falling down and getting up and trying again with God, and God trying again with them. And these stories in Exodus are so formative for our ideas about God, given that the formerly enslaved people of Israel didn't even know God's name until about five minutes ago, and the years that they are spending dithering around in the desert are actually introductory of God's own self, not only God's name, but also how God is, how the great I am will really be what theologians call the nature and character of God, what it looks like and feels like to exist in God's care, God's economy, God's idea of the way the world should work. So when we get into Exodus 18 and this very human problem of having been promoted, so to speak, to the level of one's incompetence, what are we learning about God here? What new thing do we now know that we might not have had access to before Moses led all these people out into their freedom and their thirst? Maybe this. Maybe it's that when it comes to working with God, the Peter principle is rubbish. Maybe it's that Outside the worlds of business or education, out in the world of basic human existence, the truth is that human being, being human, is a limit experience. That life is constantly pulling us toward and then past the limits of what we think we can bear. That certain seasons of life are wilderness wanderings that all of us have to face the limits of our capacity again and again and again. The limits of how much work we can do and still do a good job, yes, but also the limits of how much loss and sorrow pitched past pitch of grief we can endure. The limits of how much injustice we can tolerate. The limits of how much unkindness or even persecution we can withstand, the limits of how much chronic pain our bodies can bear, the limits of how much emotional weight we can carry for our beloveds, how much assistance we can give our kids, our spouses, our parents, all our kin, the ones who count on us to make everything all right. The human experience is that at some point along the way, and at my advanced age, I can testify that at many points along the way, 
we bump up against the limits of our own capacity to make everything all right for ourselves, for our beloveds, for the communities of which we are a part. Everybody ends up in the desert sometimes, I'm saying, exhausted and depleted and mad and afraid and unable to imagine anything to do other than try harder. And the way this story goes, according to our ancestors in faith, is that right there, where you have girded up your loins for yet another hopeless round of try harder, right there is where God is. Right there, where you cannot do another blessed thing and the whole project of your life is about to careen off the rails. That is where the great I am is. I'm not saying that God waits until you're almost expired to swoop in and fix everything, because mostly in my experience, God doesn't fix everything. Whether you are almost expired, or mostly dead, or completely unglued. I'm just saying that very often, the way the old folks tell it, our faithful response to God's summoning leads us into stuff that is way harder than we at first imagined. And rather than a pessimistic business principle that predicts our failure, we've got stories that reassure us of God's presence and power right there, exactly where it's all coming undone and there's not a damn thing we can do about it. And let us not forget, neither Moses nor we are sent to that desert alone, not on God's watch. Those able persons are all around us, waiting to be noticed for their trustworthiness, waiting to be asked for their help. This is God with us, this community of competence and compassion. This is why the Peter principle doesn't have a foothold here. Here, we are not promoted to the level of our incompetence. Here, we confess our limitations to a God who knows them better than we do. And here, we receive God's help from our companions with grateful thanks. Rising, we might say, to the level of our recognition and reception of the help God had in mind for us all along. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. 
you'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.